0: Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle
1: children
2: of history, man. The middle of the day, Alfred. Please, take a seat, baby. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the basic. Meeting in the middle. Fight,
1: fight. They fought for the freedom of middle.
0: The middle of middle. The
2: middle of The middle of the middle. The middle
1: of a war! Oh, it's friggin' ridiculous!
0: Why don't we have a seat and talk about?
1: over? No! the middle seat! For the first time in forever, the Middle Seats Podcast is back with a normal episode. Let go of all of your ambitions and enjoy the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. Thank you for joining us once again. I'm your ice ice baby king, Andrew Oje. Let's meet all of my snow friends. Reindeers are better than people, but this boy could melt even the iciest of hearts. Mr. Nate Lungarini, how are you today?
0: Aww, I'm blushing. Feel like a pretty, pretty princess after that kind of comment. Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, you're looking at me now and I'm melting.
1: You know how icy my heart is. Aww. Anyway, speaking of icy hearts, he's a bit of a fixer-upper because he's as tough to listen to and to look at as Olaf's Frozen adventure, Mr. Jake Hensler.
2: Yeah, coming from Pun Master 5000 over there, <laughs>
1: appealing to the dads over
2: there. Frozen's made for little girls and you're appealing to the dads.
1: <laughs> I almost got every single song from Frozen into that intro. I'm actually pretty That's proud pretty of good. It. Yeah. <laughs> the Middle Seas Podcast, like I said, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're glad to have you. Our show is divided usually into three different segments, although today it's kind of three and a half because we've got a little bit of maintenance to do about a very special contest between the three of us that we're doing during this winter season. Anyway, we're going to start with lobby talk, which has to do with one member of the crew pitching a topic. We kind of just talk about it like we were in the lobby of a movie theater. Uh, We have some news as well. We've got our review of Frozen 2, as you might have gotten from there. And we'll also give a little bit of an update about our box office challenge that we're doing. If you want to skip around in this podcast, there are time codes in the description below. We have a lot to cover. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight. Let's not waste any more time, gentlemen. Let's move into lobby talk, and it's my
2: week.
0: Let's all go to the lobby.
2: You're in the lobby? What do you look like?
0: I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby.
1: We're full tilt into the holiday season here, and there are a lot of holiday movies in film, but there are some holidays that go neglected, like, of course, Christmas and Halloween are the two most popular. Like, those ones get tons of movies. I'm sure there's even a few Thanksgiving movies in there every once in a while, but there are a lot of holidays, you know, that get the short end of the stick, and today, as my challenge for Lobby Talk, each member of the crew is going to pitch a movie based on a more obscure holiday and I think as a consensus, we'll pick which one we would green light if we were the studio. So, without further ado, Naylon Garini, he's been hard at work. I saw him scratching with a pencil. I saw steam coming out of his head as he was thinking about his idea before the show. What holiday are you pitching, and what is the
0: premise of your movie? All righty. So, I'm going to go with Father's Day. And. Actually, in hindsight, I might have been a little too inspired by Onward because we're starting to get more posters and trailers of that. Yeah,
1: Big Father themes and that. Yeah, Big
0: Father themes for sure. And I actually really like the fantasy tropes for this particular pitch as well, but I want to focus specifically on the mythological creatures. I'm thinking like an animated Pixar DreamWorks style movie where the main character is a chimera and he's trying to figure out who his dad is, Mamma Mia style. But because he's a chimera, like he could be a dragon, it could be a griffin, it could be all sorts of crazy mythological creatures. And I think trying to just like go through some weird middle earthy type world, trying to find out who your dad is, could be a really fun kids romp. Is this a musical? Uh, You know what? Yeah. Let's differentiate ourselves a little bit from the Pixar audience. Let's go full musical on it. It Mm. already sounds better than whatever that Owen Wilson movie was a couple years ago. (laughs) Know what I'm talking about? Oh,
2: yes. The one where he's he's looking for his dad and like J.K. Simmons is in it at some point, I think. Uh, 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 Father
0: figures. Yeah, with the terrible poster. Father figures. (laughs) Yeah. Nate's already sounds like a better version than that. (laughs) You add a dragon to anything and it's already a better movie. That's fair. I haven't
1: thought about father figures in like two years. I'm shook, man. Well, well, you're welcome. (laughs)
2: Oh, man. We actually stumped Andrew. If we we can see each other when we record and he's just lost in space. I, I'm silent right now. Oh man. I just picturing
1: an animated father figures. That's bad for Nate's pitch. Jake okay. made that well, worse. No, I,
2: I think Nate's I think Nate's pitch does sound good. I'm intrigued already. Do you have any
0: idea for voice cast or is that
2: you didn't get that far?
0: Oh, yeah, please. I, I am a whatever sticks to the wall kind of guy. I don't think that far in advance. Oh yeah, you're you're
1: a concept dude. You're not a big casting person. Mm-hmm. I understand. Mine will have a cast when I get to it. Do you want me to go next, Jake? You really sounded like you wanted to go last.
2: No, I just don't want to go uh, go first. I can go next if you want. Mm-hmm. Not confident in his idea. No, I am. <laughs> I just didn't want to go first. He's stalling. He's
1: the guy that wants to do the presentation in class last because he's not ready. But I think we're gonna we're gonna push him, put the pressure on, and see what comes out. Can you create movie magic, Jake?
2: <laughs> Andrew acts like he knows me. Um <laughs> <laughs> I certainly hope he knows who you are at this point so I am slightly cheating a little bit but there's a reason so Christmas is known as the major like Christian holiday right the religious one but in April you get like Good Friday, Palm Sunday, Passover, Easter, Orthodox Easter right you get a bunch of religious ones in a row right correct sure. so I was thinking about a movie surrounding April Fool's Day is before that so hear me out here's my pitch in a world a few years from now where conspiracy theories are even bigger than they are now, like Zuckerberg's under a lot of fire for allowing certain things on his, you know, social network and whatnot. So a few years from now, it's even worse. And some Reddit user just, you know, whatever, but writes, like, imagine if like April Fool's Day becoming before all these religious holidays meant something. Maybe all of them are not really anything. And then he like goes on a camping trip for a week and he comes back to realize somebody in the deep, dark depths of Reddit, took it and ran with it, and it just blew up and has like the whole world shook. How about how <laughs> April Fool's Day is really undermining all these other April religious holidays? And I don't know. I kind of thought it'd be like a dark <laughs> comedy slash social commentary on don't believe everything you read. Huh.
1: It better be released in the year that Easter and all that is in April because sometimes they're in March. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true.
2: The
1: release schedule is key there. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's I true. actually
0: really dig that, Jake. It's kind of like undermining faith, but not attacking the religious aspect of it. It's attacking the way we read news and media. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a, almost like a different kind of faith. I feel like you could actually cover a lot of weird nuances and hypocrisies in that kind of story. Well, you all, in April, you also apparently,
2: you get Earth Day and Tax Day, so I think you could have some fun with comedy there, too. Like, no more taxes. What is Earth? Ah! <laughs> huh, interesting I'd like to think that you could get
1: like Edgar Wright or like Alexander Payne or somebody really skilled at satire to do it
2: even uh, Taika Waititi maybe
1: yeah that'd be a good one too after Jojo Rabbit absolutely after Jojo yeah that's a good one uh, Jojo Rabbit by the way one of the better underappreciated movies of the year if you haven't seen it in my opinion pretty good Jake
2: that's pretty deep <laughs> that's why it's a little far-fetched and it's a little cheating but I I didn't want to go first because I wanted to let it mm. marinate a little bit
1: yeah I definitely have the most <laughs> obscure of our three holidays.
2: When we were talking about it
1: ahead of the podcast, Nate didn't even know what I was talking about. So that's solid. Good start. <laughs> really, really go into the, the broad demographics here of people who don't really know what this holiday is. But at the same time, everybody loves trees. Trees are cool. And Arbor Day is all about trees. The name of my movie would be Seeds of Life. It is this beautiful drama. It's about a woman who protects a tree with all of her life throughout the decades. She's played by Chloe Moretz as a teenager slash young adult and Meryl Streep as a full-on adult slash senior citizen. She does everything near these trees. She sleeps out in front of it every Arbor Day. She has this deep connection to this tree. She talks to the tree and through voiceover, guess who plays the tree?
2: Shel Silverstein. Like The poet? (laughs) <laughs> that's just what i was thinking of <laughs> what
0: does he sound like
2: <laughs> I, I don't know
1: uh, well now I my mean... answer is not good <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say david harbour get it like harbour, oh no that harbour. is
0: good okay okay i like david
2: harbour
1: yeah that's something so the whole movie you spend wondering why we're obsessed with this tree and guys guess what this woman had a tragic loss her son died and her son is buried under that tree, hence the oh. seeds of life.
2: Well, spoiler alert.
1: Well, uh, this, this is a pitch meeting. <laughs> <laughs> you don't go. Here's the first two acts, and then go. Good night. <laughs> I was getting. Well, who directs it? Mm. I think I'm just going in my head to Tree of Life, because it sounds like a Terrence Malick movie. <laughs> yeah, that's what
2: I was thinking too. <laughs> but I don't know. You guys have. I feel like there's got to be another, Suggestions another for directors like Alfonso Cuarón. Actually, that's a great example. <laughs>
0: that would be good. He could, yeah. he you, could you take that st- and run with that. Yeah, you need good cinematography and you need a guy who could tell a story. So, mm-hmm. Think of all the cool tree technology he could come up with. Like, mm-hmm. we had all that gravity stuff. Like, what if he had a tree cam? And, like, within <laughs> the branches of the tree, like going up and down I don't know he'll figure it out he's much better (laughs) coming up with awesome films than I am Jake I want you to note how Nate said actually that's a good idea as
1: in he was shocked
2: (laughs) well there are a few far between but I'm not without them
1: yeah I'm this this whole segment should be called Jake shook everybody else because between father
2: figures
1: (laughs) and Shell Silverstein completely thrown off my game so thanks for that
2: I guess I'm excited about the holidays I don't know maybe it's maybe it's being in Nate's apartment Mm -mm, toasty
1: as quiznos would say.
2: Why? Oh, oh my. We're not sponsored by them. Oh, yeah, not yet. <laughs> I like all three of our pitches. Yeah, I I would like all three of these to be greenlit. And yeah. I could see like what like Warner Brothers could do Nate's and then like A24 would do yours. <laughs> uh, I don't know who would do mine. <laughs> yeah, yours is kind of like a Maybe I like a Columbia, Fox
1: Searchlight, <laughs> what STX Entertainment. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. I think that'll do it for Lobby Talk. Guys, we want to hear if you guys have a certain pitch that you want us to possibly green light. Please let us know. Please comment below. With that being said, let's transition nicely from Lobby Talk to our box office update here.
0: Let's make some money! (laughs) All you care about is money. The box office disaster. Money, money, money! Guys,
1: we have our box office draft that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. It got underway at the beginning of November. We've been progressing. We have our teams. We've gone through it. Nate has an update for you, and we're going to have a couple of little bit of team shifts here today.
0: Nate, why? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first off, uh, just a quick update on the numbers. Uh, It was a good day to be a Nate Longarini because I had... When is it not? (laughs) Yeah, hold on a second. Every day is good morning sunshine, so... (laughs) Well, even better because I had both Frozen 2 and Ford v. Ferrari come out in theaters in the last two weeks since we started recording and I have shot up almost $200 million over everybody else. Drew is the only other person with movies on the board and both... Are not looking as hot. Uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the new Tom Hanks movie, just came out. And that has the potential to hold. It's got a very good uh, consensus right now. But it's only made $13 million so far. Mm. The death sentence could be that Charlie's Angels has only made $14 million over two weekends. It only made $5 million its second week. Not not good for Drew. That is almost certainly going to be one of the biggest bombs of the year. Yeah, by Christmas, it'll be making like $9. I
1: think it's obvious that the problem is that America is sexist,
0: and this is why my movie's not made. <laughs> oh, money. absolutely. Oh, boy. We only want Spider Man movies. Mm. <laughs> All right, so Jake has yet to get on the board, but he does have Knives Out coming out. Uh, yeah, soon. by the time
2: you guys listen to this, Knives Out will have come out. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Yeah, not a great start for me, guys. Uh, not really into that too much, uh, considering I invented the game, and now I'm absolutely desperate for Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker to be as big a hit as we all anticipated it to be. I really needed to like come somewhere probably in between Force Awakens, which made like 900 million, and The Last Jedi, which made like 600 million, which is still a pretty decent sized hit. But it's at really the same time, a
2: huge hit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> like yeah, almost. but I
1: think a lot of us expected it to be even, an even bigger hit.
2: Yeah, well I'm there's a little petty part of me that's kind of happy to see this because you walked in like like you walked into a locker room with your chest all puffed ready to kick some ass and now you're kind of struggling a little bit so that's what you get. Mhm. Right. Like, "Oh, I got Star Wars beating his chest." So we have our swap rule
1: too where we're He's able to me. <laughs>
2: swap out
1: one movie and I'm going to have to use that, but not cuz of Charlie's Angels because another movie on this list has screwed me over
0: even before a poster came out. But before you do that, I also have the opportunity to trade myself, and because of our box office draft rules, I get to go first following Jake, who isn't going to be trading this round. Yeah, because I know how to pick movies. So, (laughs) okay.
2: (laughs) I just triggered Andrew. Says the mother****** (laughs) that has cats on his team. We'll see. Those Taylor
0: Swift cult members are going to go see it. We'll find out. Anyway, for me, because I'm obviously the most important drafter here, I need my team to get a little bit better because I've lost The King's Man. It got pushed back, uh, I think, seven months to come out in December or sorry, uh, September, which means I need to pick a new movie so I can make some money. And I am going to be rolling the dice a little bit and going into the Januarys of the world. Whoa. With Bad Boys for Life, I'm hoping that I can Squeeze a little bit of the action fans out the same way that uh, Ford versus Ferrari and some of the other action movies have done at least decently well so far. We'll see. Talk about bold move cotton. I think you've got your probably 100 mil roughly there at least.
1: I hope so. Uh, that's the hope. Yeah, for sure. I need to make a shift as well because... This has is, this is really not gone well so far, guys. I, I know i said that already, but I'm very disappointed in myself looking at this list. <laughs> and seeing... So I have Charlie's Angels, which did awful. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which it needs to do better. We'll pick it up, I think. Star Wars, Quiet Place Part 2. And then in the movie that I'm not going to need to swap out, Godzilla vs. Kong, which has been moved back several months to November, like this time next year. So... what the hell? Like, okay.
2: (laughs) So basically he's got one movie right now that looks like to make any kind of money whatsoever.
1: So I need to swap out Godzilla versus Kong. And I think, you know what? I'm going to bank on the children. Give me Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh,
0: That's what I was going to choose if I wanted to. (laughs)
2: Mm.
0: The movie that essentially pushed out Kingsman, I think, maybe. (laughs) They were scared of something that weekend. They did move it out right after that other trailer came out
1: mm-hmm. where sonic so Sonic
0: is looking Sonic is looking better, so we'll see if he's actually better for you, yeah, and much better than Godzilla versus Kong.
1: I mean he doesn't look like an opioid addicted Chester Cheeto anymore, so <laughs> I'm pretty glad that they've fixed the design so i'm gonna I'm gonna roll with that. I think it's more likely they move Kingsman because of birds of prey in my opinion. It's possible. we'll see
0: who does so. Okay,
1: uh, hopefully better weeks are ahead for me uh, And hopefully worse weeks are ahead for Nate <laughs> You know what? I can't stay mad at him Can you, Jake? I've never been mad at him mm. I love it Speaking of Godzilla vs. Kong We're going to transition nicely here into our news segment
0: And this just in, a Newsbreak special report news news is news. News. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story
1: So Godzilla vs. Kong or Godzilla v Kong or whatever the hell they're calling it is positioned to be one of the bigger blockbusters of 2020. Uh, Obviously, like we said, it was supposed to come out in March of 2020. It has now been moved back to November 20th of that year. So it's pretty much on its own in that release date. I looked at the surrounding schedule. Uh, Eternals, the Marvel movie, comes out at the beginning of November. Then you have a Disney release and Thanksgiving time. That's pretty much the only real competition as far as blockbusters go for the movie. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown is back from Godzilla King of the Monsters. Kyle Chandler's also back. It's a really big cast. Isaac Gonzalez, Alexander Skarsgard, Rebecca Hall, Jessica Henwick, a.k.a. Colleen Wing from Iron Fist, Denai Guerrero, Lance Reddick, Brian Tyree Henry. Uh, wow. the, Asi- the Asian woman that played twins and Godzilla King of the Monsters. <laughs> oh, no. Which maybe they'll
0: address
2: this time. Maybe they won't.
1: Yeah, maybe they're triplets this time. We didn't even know there's
0: another <laughs> one. <laughs> they still won't appear in the same scene.
1: <laughs> right. Godzilla King of the Monster. we talked a little bit about last pod. Uh, it made $110 million in the United States, $385 million worldwide.
2: That's low for worldwide. Right, exactly. Jeez.
1: Mm-hmm. $170 million budget, so it needed to do better than that. What do you guys think about this move? Were they scared because they thought they needed to position it in a better spot where there's less competition around it because it was going to have to go up against A Quiet Place and probably the remnants of uh, Birds of Prey? And then there's a James Bond movie in April. So there was going to be a lot around it in the spring term. But what do we think? Why do we think they moved it? And are you still excited for this? Jake, let's start with you.
2: After Godzilla King of the Monsters, you have to queue up that that guy from Jurassic Park. Look, nobody cares.
1: Oh, Dennis Nedry?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Based on the box office numbers, that's what it sounds like. Because I, as a kid, I loved Godzilla. Any kind of creative monster idea really, really got me excited. So there is a little part of me, that part of me, that is still excited and hopes it's good. They got a decent director, right? Adam Wingard? Yeah. Is who's directing it? He's a, he's done a couple decent thriller horror movies. Um, So it's not that they got a nobody, which kind of felt like that with Godzilla King of the Monsters, in my opinion. I know Andrew's disagreed with that, but... I don't know. The fact that they're moving it doesn't sound confident and their lack of quality in King of the Monsters is really not good either. So I'm hoping it's good because I like that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff's always interesting to me. We've never got a live action one. Well, not really. <laughs> mm. <laughs> not a good one. Not a good American one, I should
1: say. I don't know sure. what they've been doing over in Japan.
2: Right. So I'm, I'm hoping it's good. But
0: yeah, I don't know. This doesn't sound good. But Nate, that cast, what do you think? I'm going to focus more on the critical aspect of all this because reviews for King of the Monsters, spoiler alert, were not good. And a lot of our criticisms came from the human characters in our monster movie. And if a lot of them are coming back, I think this screams rewrites and reedits for Mm -hmm. the movie because the production schedule between King of the Monsters and Kong was really, really tight. Like, the fact that this movie was coming out so early, originally slated for March, was kind of surprising in itself because it had only been a couple months since the the second one came out. So I think they had to really assess not only the financial reaction, but the fan reaction to the story they had and said, can we do some reshoots here? Can we make this better than what we have? And I think ultimately they decided we can't do it in the time that we have. So hopefully, knock on wood, they're pushing it back so they can do it right. And not, oh crap, we're screwed. Delay, delay, delay.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Guys, I'm just so mad at myself that I drafted this film.
2: (laughs) Well, it doesn't sound like a bad idea in the first place, but... The writing was all over the wall. And I'll tell you why. Like you said, Nadie, there was a
1: very tight window of shooting these movies. So Godzilla King of the Monsters comes out in May. You've got this coming out in March. Godzilla King of the Monsters, they seem to be at least a little bit of confident in because they released a trailer for it at 2018 Comic-Con, like almost a full year ahead. Mm -hmm. This one had even less of a timetable and there was nothing at Comic-Con in July.
0: I've had to use a placeholder, like widescreen poster for the movie draft purposes. Because we don't have an official poster yet that's in the right format. Yeah, and that's that's concerning for a
2: movie coming out, set to come out in March.
1: Especially one this big that really needs to be a hit. Like you want yeah. as many people as possible knowing about this.
2: Yeah, Godzilla vs. King Kong should be huge. Yeah. Should
1: be. If we went out on the street, Billy on the street style and we put a mic in someone's face, first of all, they would if it was Jake, they'd be like, Go away. If it was Nate, Ew. then they would listen. Um right. appreciate it. Yeah. Then we asked them, "Do you know that a Godzilla versus King Kong movie was coming out?" I wager to say that seven out of ten people would not know, and that's an and that awareness problem is key when you're marketing these movies. Yeah, I think there is definitely something in this production that they're scared about. We probably won't be getting a lot of footage of this anytime soon, so we can put this issue to bed. Let's talk about another major Warner Brothers property, guys. Batman's awesome, right? Duh.
2: For the most part, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, right, right.
1: Every now and then he's not, but mostly. That was a layup. All you had to do was say yes. Y'all made it complicated.
0: Batman himself
1: (laughs) is dope. Batman's arch nemesis, Joker, has a billion dollar movie this year. That doesn't sit very well with Batman. So he is assembling a Murderer's Row cast for his next movie. I I say this like Batman's in the meetings at the casting direction. He's sitting on the casting (laughs) couch.
0: Sitting? No, he's hanging from the ceiling.
1: (laughs) Can you drive this line? Can you try this line a little different? (laughs) Uh, Robert Pattinson, as you know, best from Twilight, but from other things like
2: The Lighthouse, Um, which is an amazing unfortunately, Unfortunately, he's best known for Twilight, but yes, I can react to that. I recently saw The Lighthouse, and he is excellent.
1: The Lighthouse, good time, Lost City of Z. That's three right there where he's done good things besides Twilight. He will be Batman. We've known this for a while now. What we haven't known is how they're going to fill out the rest of the cast, how director-writer Matt Reeves, who did the two excellent Planet of the Apes prequel sequels, he is writing and directing. He was originally working with Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck exited the project. Here is the cast they've assembled so far. Zoe Kravitz will be playing Catwoman. Paul Dano will be playing the Riddler. Colin Farrell will be playing Penguin. Jeffrey Wright is Commissioner Gordon. Andy Serkis is Alfred Pennyworth. The actress Jamie Lawson is... An unknown. We don't know who she's playing. It's being heavily speculated that she's playing Barbara Gordon. Uh, They're still looking to cast a Harvey Dent role. Oh, I didn't even mention the whole the uh, reason we're talking about this. John Turturro has been cast as Carmine Falcone, the big crime boss that was played by Tom Wilkinson in Batman Begins. This is quite the cast and quite the approach for what is not an origin story, but is the first movie for a specific Batman. There are a lot of villains in this
0: thing, and that doesn't Mm -hmm. always go great, but Nate, do you think this could work? I hope so. Ever since Amazing Spider-Man, I've been nervous about multiple villains per movie, especially when we haven't even established who this Batman is yet. Is he going to be a murderous psychopath, like in Snyder's universe, or is he going to be like the one we're more familiar with, Dark Knight, or even before then? Lot of lot of question marks. Uh, It's a good cast, but I do want to remember that we've had lots of great actors and actresses play Batman villains in very bad Batman movies. Cough, cough. Batman and Robin. Cough. You okay? You got a bad cough over there? (laughs) It's something. Um, So I'm never outright pessimistic about casting announcements. There's so much to speculate about. Uh, but I think it's very interesting that they're filling out the cast so uh, so much so early. Mm. Jake, you've been licking your
1: beard over there. You got something to say?
2: All the viewers know exactly what you're talking about. All the <laughs> listeners. Um, I'm intrigued. My biggest pro is that Matt Reeves is behind it. Matt Reeves is excellent on... Dawn and War of the Planet of the Apes. Both are, one is great, one is extremely good. I, I love that whole trilogy. Um, So I'm very excited to see his take on Batman. I think he's he's got a lot of potential. I like this new Robert Pattinson era that we're potentially entering. We'll see where it goes. I like it so far. I'm also, a little tangent, he's going to be in Christopher Nolan's next uh movie in summer of 2020. So
0: yeah, directors
2: are looking at him and good directors are looking at him. So, those are pros. To agree with Nate, I'm a little not worried, but confused as to why so many villains. I guess maybe it's going to be very comic booky,
0: where like they all can just be there and have parts to contribute. But like, could this be like Amazing Spider-Man Two, where the Rhino shows up for two scenes? Right. That's what, what I'm like wondering. Pointless? Also, pointless. I'm. Um, I don't know. I do think that might be the approach.
1: There are two different ideas of how I think this is going to go. And they're based on pitches that I've seen that I really like. The first is, have you guys ever heard of the comic The Long Halloween? No, no. actually. That's one of the more popular Batman comics, and it features a huge rogues gallery of villains. And it's the whole idea that, yes, it's, it's like the Arkham City video game where it's very much... Exploring Arkham City as the villain, as opposed to one singular villain. It's Batman mm-hmm. trying to survive chaos. Alternatively, an idea I loved, loved that I heard a while ago is an idea that he's going through Arkham Asylum, a la the raid.
0: Ooh. Ho, ho, ho.
1: And if you've never seen that's the raid, cool. it's the idea of somebody going floor to floor taking on different challenges. Similar to Dread, that's another example. Mm-hmm. But that was a pitch I really liked it, and that was first floated a while ago when Affleck was developing his version. So I don't know if that's still in the cards. That's
0: interesting. If, if that is the case, that's freaking genius. Floors of Arkham? We have never seen the prison like long-term in a good movie before, right?
1: Yeah, we've seen bits and pieces of it. Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, it, it's featured at points. Mm-hmm. So to
0: answer Nate's question, no. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) That is a great excuse to pin a whole lot of villains and Batman in a tight space. I feel like that could have a lot of potential if you do it right. Right.
2: (laughs) Correct. And that's the other thing. I do like the casting choices so far. They're not – I mean other than – I would say Colin Farrell is very well known as an actor by this point. But they didn't cast any crazy heavyweights. Like there is no – DiCaprio or like a Tom Hanks or, yeah. you know, a Matt Damon, nothing like that. They cast a lot of great actors who aren't really A-listers. Yeah. And I really like all that.
1: But are all pretty suited to the roles, especially, I love Paul Dano as the Riddler. I think that's yeah. such yeah. a good choice. Zoe that's Kravitz is a very good choice as well. Colin Farrell's not what I expected just because you think of someone short for the, for the Penguin. But really In the fact. Penguin just has to be a crime boss, like, a, you know, with the, the Penguin style.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: but that movie will start shooting soon I expect we'll see Pattinson in the bat suit probably before the summer Because they'll want to get that image out there And then we'll probably get a first look around Comic-Con 2020 I would think if we go by past precedent of what DC likes to do Mm -hmm. They'll probably attach a trailer to Wonder Woman 1984 next summer So that's the Batman Completely pivoting to something very different But it's another interesting topic in a different way That we wanted to discuss here on the show Um, Musical biopics We've talked about a lot In the past It's a Controversial genre Because a lot of them Have kind of been ruined By Walk Hard The Dewey Cox story Because they're very By (laughs) the numbers And all go through The same formula Uh, And one of those ones That I felt like Went through a very Similar formula And fudge facts And I wasn't a big fan of Even though The rest of the world Loved it Was Bohemian Rhapsody Which made 903 million dollars Worldwide Which every time I say it I want to throw up Because I cannot believe That that happened and, co-
2: and comically won some Oscars. And, and won Best Editing for...
0: Yeah. <laughs> which oh, which Nate
2: here could edit it better, but... Oh, um, boy. <laughs> yeah. This has been a
1: very pro-Nate yeah. podcast, by the way, even more than usual. When
2: is it not? I, I appreciate the love. <laughs>
1: Touche. So from Bohemian Rhapsody, producer Graham King, he wants to keep the momentum going. So he's moving from Freddie Mercury, one of the legends of rock, to the king of pop. Michael Jackson will be getting his own biopic film. It's been authorized by Michael Jackson's estate, which, as you guys know, based on his controversial past, is not the easiest thing to do, but they can use all of his music. Uh, The script is being written by John Logan, who did Gladiator, Skyfall, The Aviator, a bunch of stuff. A lot of good, not great movies. And before you think about censoring, of course, Leaving Neverland, the very popular HBO miniseries from earlier this year, chronicled a lot of the abuse that michael jackson allegedly levied on different little boys and of course that's a big part of michael jackson's legacy apparently king says that this movie will not skimp on that stuff it will touch on it hmm. somewhere so that's interesting because with right. the estate involved i don't know if i trust that but i'll get into my opinion on that in a second jake what do you think about this idea and i guess about musical biopics in general
2: Well, it's also interesting because we just got a documentary about all of that stuff. I don't know. It's interesting that it just got greenlit after a documentary like that, which definitely didn't show him in a great light. Right. I thought Bohemian Rhapsody was, like, generally I liked it, but I didn't think it was anything special. I liked it more than you guys did, but I did not like it enough to where I thought it should win any kind of Oscars. But I was okay with Remy Malek being nominated, but aside from that, I know there, I didn't see the Rocketman one about um, Elton John. I heard that was really good. I know there's an Aretha Franklin one coming out. It's popular. I'm not surprised. These are live. These were legends at one point. Some of them living. I'm okay with almost anything as long as you do it well. Do it right. Don't insult the audience. Do it justice. But that's why Michael Jackson is so interesting. There's so there's got to be so much to cover. I can't imagine this movie shorter than two and a half hours. He changed the the pop genre, which is arguably the biggest genre, and he had all that controversy with you know pedophilia and all that stuff. So I can't even imagine how they're gonna do this.
1: Yeah. Important distinction about Leaving Neverland before we move on. I love that documentary. It might be a top contender for me for one of my favorite... I don't know if you count it as a film. It's certainly like an event of the year because it's Mm, just so powerful. But it is very anti-him without a voice from the Michael Jackson camp. It's very one-sided. I mean, and granted, it's the side of alleged victims, so it's very powerful. But if you're looking for a more comprehensive viewpoint of how everybody feels about him... In theory, this will be that. But I don't know, Nate, because I'm not sure how much the estate is going to allow as far as the icky material.
0: If I was a lawyer or some sort of consultant, like trying to get this movie from yellow light to green light, I would put the brakes on it. Like I I don't I don't like this idea at all. Honestly, I think there's way too much. Bad press on Michael's side uh, as of right now, as is, and I feel like this is gonna be a very, very touchy subject for a lot of people, like yeah. especially in the wake of the Me Too movement, and like we're still finding out stuff about Harvey Weinstein right now. I'm not saying like they're exactly the same, but it's all in that same vein in the cultural movement right now. So um, it'll be interesting. Tying this to the Bohemian Rhapsody guy and the Michael Jackson estate doesn't give me a lot of confidence that this is going to be a honest portrayal. Uh, Rocket Man, that was a pretty honest portrayal and came from Elton John himself.
1: Right, which was very big of him to be a part of that and kind of self-reflect, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Uh, So that was a great way to show not only a musician's legacy, but also how his legacy has this whole underbelly that takes a lot to open up but that said what elton john went through is very different from what michael jackson is accused of doing and i see that rubbing a lot of people the wrong way um regardless of what the facts are and yeah bohemian rhapsody was kind of weak because it it really sanitized a lot of the darker aspects of not only Freddie's life, but the band's life. Uh, I bring this up all the time that Fat Bottom Girls was written from experience like and but in the movie, the rest of the band members are portrayed as like Christian. uh, I love my wife kind of people. And that might have been true later in life, but definitely wasn't during the rock star days. And they just kind of skim over a lot of the sex and the drugs and Mm. the whatnot. Right, it's PG 13. Um, yeah, and so <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody, great music video, but not a very accurate biopic. Giving it back to Graham King doesn't give me a ton of confidence. And not to
2: we didn't even bring up Michael Jackson's famous surgery, apart from all the accusations that he has. Like, yeah. there's a lot to cover in this kind of movie. Oh my God, yes. A lot of controversy. There's no shot it's under two and a half hours, first of all. Yeah, there's way too much to cover. Who even plays that? Who wants to take on that kind of role? Yeah, that's a whole
1: nother discussion. But listen, we're not saying that you can't make a really good movie from a person that was not a great person.
0: Or even just complex. He's a complex guy at the right. very least. Right.
1: There have been plenty of movies, even straight up, and I'm not saying this is what Michael Jackson was, but there have been great biopics about straight up villains of history. If it's an interesting subject, it will make for an interesting movie. I think what we're concerned about is specifically execution, especially with people so close to him involved. Like, that is dangerous. And that kind of also, going back to Bohemian Rhapsody, not even Freddie Mercury, but the other members of Queen being so involved, did have an influence on the production. Because like you guys were saying about Fat Bottom Girls... You know, they don't want themselves to be seen as the guys talking about women's asses. They want to be seen as, you know, good people.
2: Right, and $900 million worth of people are going to see this, (laughs) so...
1: (laughs) You don't want to be the guy that you came out and was like, oh, Brian May seemed like a real asshole. And it's like, no. And that's just natural. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to do like what Elton John did. And I think this movie, it's going to be very difficult for the family to remove themselves from that. Especially given... Everything that's happened with leaving Never- Neverland recently.
0: Yeah. Woof.
1: <laughs> yeah. Woof indeed. That will do it for news today. It's time to move into our featured review of the big blockbuster, Frozen 2. The kingdom
2: is not safe. I'm going with you. Anna, no. Excuse me, I climbed the North Mountain, survived a frozen heart, and saved you from my ex boyfriend, so, you know, I'm coming.
0: Where did you learn magic?
2: You can't just follow me into fire. I believe in you, Elsa, more than anyone or anything.
1: Frozen 2 is the sequel to Disney's second highest grossing movie of all time. Isn't that crazy to think about? Disney animation, I should say.
0: Yeah, but still
1: nuts. It, it's unbelievable. Uh, just behind The Lion King overall worldwide. It is directed by Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee, who directed the 2013 original They Returned for This. It stars Adele Dazeem, I mean Andina Menzel, of course, making 2014 jokes here <laughs> on the Middle Seeds podcast. We've also got Kristen Bell, Josh Gad, Jonathan Groff, Sterling K. Brown, Alfred Molina, Evan Rachel Wood, Siren Hines, and Alan Tudyk. Really big voice cast for this one, as you might expect. It takes place roughly three years after the original Frozen. The Kingdom of Arendelle, Elsa and Anna... Ruling together as sisters. Elsa's hearing this call from the woods. And this whole movie is about her venturing into the unknown. Into a mystic, mysterious forest. Which is shrouded by fog to figure out what's on the other side. And the mysteries that it may hold. Now of course, everyone and their daughters anticipating this movie. Because of the notoriety of the first Frozen. I think it's pretty safe to say that... Even since 2013, this movie's hype has probably not died down that much. Like, kids today still love this film. I've heard stories of parents that have watched it, like, 50 times because it's just on replay. It's like Lion King and Aladdin were for us. Ryan
2: Reynolds said something about it. Sure.
1: So that's a lot of pressure on the filmmakers of Frozen 2 to kind of live up to that film's legacy. Because there are a lot of people that think Frozen is overrated, but then there are people that absolutely love it. So where does this stand? Nate... What did you think preliminarily of Frozen 2?
0: There are a lot of things to like, uh, and there are some things I'm not as high on, but at the end of the day, this is still a very competent Disney princess movie. I can't speak so much to the songs, but from an untrained ear, they sounded good and fun. Not as catchy as the originals. I think the story, I don't think anybody expected Frozen to be the lightning in the bottle that it was blowing up kids' families' houses everywhere with the soundtrack, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But now that Frozen 2 is here, they're like, well, shoot, we need to come up with lore and backstories and, like, stuff in this universe because we just made a simple story the first time around. How do we do that again? And I almost feel like it got a little mucked down in its own world building. But a lot of the things that you liked from the first one are still here. Olaf is still funny. Uh, the music is still good. The sister relationship is still strong. Uh, they added some new supporting characters that have their moments here and there. But your your core characters are still doing what made the first one good. So you hand a kid the aux
1: chord these days and they put Let It Go on. And then Jake... You would take the aux cord, grab that kid's phone, smash it with a hammer, and then put on How Far I'll Go by Ma- Moana, because I know that you're not a huge fan of the original Frozen.
2: That's relatively accurate. <laughs> with the hammer and everything, too? Wow. No. Um, I would I would let the kid do his thing, and then be like, all right, my turn, and then put the pass lock on, and then just let Moana repeat. I, I really think Moana's great. I think the original Frozen is fine, and I, it's just kind of how I feel about this this next one. It's just, eh, nah, it's Okay. Truthfully, I saw it last night, and I'm already kind of forgetting a little bit of it. I just, I don't know. Something about the Frozen universe doesn't really stick with me that well. Like, I kind of echo what Nate says. It, It's competent. It's a great word for it. It's not a bad movie. But I just don't, nothing really settles with me. Nothing really gets me that engaged. Um, other than Disney is good at finding messages and good messages to give to their audiences. I agree the sister relationship is good and escalates and is strong Olaf is fun again there's a couple good chuckles I don't know the music's not really that great I don't think I think it's fine I'm gonna get some hate for this from anybody who loves frozen and listens but I don't know I think like the voice acting is fine there's just not a whole lot that really catches me or reels me in it's just it's a fine hour 40 nothing that special you're very
1: concerned about the frozen mafia aren't you
2: yeah, I don't know. Maybe I have a rational fear of mafias coming after me because I've I've said that in the past about other movies too.
1: <laughs> What's the worst that the Frozen mafia looks like? Like you don't have any Conor McGregor's in that mafia. It's a lot of eight year olds. Do you not
0: remember the giant ice snowman from Frozen One? Yeah. Hello? She's going to get impaled. <laughs> and
1: Nate, I do remember that because I think out of the three of us, I am certainly the high man on the original Frozen. I really, really, really like that movie a lot. I think it's probably a top five Disney movie for me, and I don't feel that wavering when I say it.
0: Woof. You're a goon. I, I, that is not that
1: controversial and <laughs> of opinion, first of all. Like,
0: Frozen 1, I, I'll give it like a four out of five kind of thing. Like, it's a solid plush recliner, I suppose, but I would not go top five Disney all time.
1: Yeah, I would. Lion King, Moana, Beauty and the Beast, and then probably Frozen. Maybe Wreck-It Ralph. Maybe Wreck-It Ralph 4, then Frozen. Yeah, I think it's a great ode to sisterhood. It does everything right that all those Renaissance movies that we love do, but also works for the current age that we live in as far as subversive storytelling and sisterhood and fantastic music. And that's all of the setup to say that this movie is kind of not as good. It's not even close, really.
2: (laughs) Yeah. All right. At least we could all agree on that. It was just... uh I was trying to set
1: you up to make you think that I was going to be like, this one's even better, but it really isn't. Uh, Nate, I think you especially nailed it on the head uh, when you were saying that they were not prepared to make Frozen 2. I don't think anything was expected in the way that that movie made money. And then they kind of scrambled and were like, oh man, we have to make another one of these. And I agree. In many ways, it is everything you expect from a sequel where it's more but less. And the less comes from having more. And that sounds like a Yoda-ism or Yogi Berra-ism, but it makes sense. Think about it this way. The first Frozen movie is so airtight in its storytelling, and that's why it's so impactful because we focus specifically on Elsa and Anna and their relationship. When you start adding other characters in, then things become more muddled. You separate them for a good period of time as well, and it's just kind of fleeting. And I agree with you, Jake, when I say it's hard to remember a lot of key high points. Now, at the same time, I think the music is very good. I liked a lot of the songs. There's probably one that I would put on the same level as the songs in Frozen 1. The rest of them are good, but not great. The visuals are incredible. I love the use of the autumn colors, I love the evolution of yes. the animation. You see, yes. they clearly got at least 50 million more dollars to make this movie than they did the first one. Because yes,
2: there's a lot of really good colors and animation. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't
0: mention that, but I agree. It, that, it all looks really good. It yeah. really looks really good. And the one thing I want to say about the animation is that I'm finding it harder and harder to see the line between Pixar and Disney animation. I feel like between the water animation here, the snow, the even the earthy elements, it looks really close to Pixar levels for a lot of this movie, which is kind of crazy to me, considering where we came from.
1: Right. And they try a lot of experimental looks in this one that... The first film just didn't have. There are a lot of trippy sequences in this thing. Mm. It's funny. It's very, very, very cute. It's very clear the kids are going to love this, and they should. It's good for them. Right. I think my big problem is is that it never really justifies its own existence. It doesn't feel essential, which is the main cardinal sin of a lot of sequels. That doesn't make it a bad movie. It just doesn't make it a consequential one.
2: Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at too. I actually... It was kind of funny. I kept teetering back and forth on whether I liked it or didn't like it as the movie was going on. Like in the beginning, I was like, I like the concept that they're introducing. Okay. No, that, uh, no not really fan of that. That was a little dumb. Oh, we're wrapping up kind of nicely. Okay. All right. Cool. I come to like very, very uneven on and off. Like when Nate said, they were not ready <laughs> to make this sequel. <laughs> Je- Jennifer Kent was one of the directors and the writers, right? No, no, no. Jennifer Kent directed the Babadook. The Babadook. <laughs> Way oh, totally different, totally different. Who is, way, way who, is different? She, who is this? Jennifer one? Lee
1: directed Jennifer, this. Jennifer Lee. I yeah. I almost went to IMDb <laughs> to make sure that I wasn't crazy. And I was like,
2: "Wow, what a career shift!" <laughs> yeah, I was like, "That's definitely somebody in the industry." Who am I thinking of?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's your third uh, screwball there for the day. True. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, But yeah, she must have, when Disney
2: was like, hey, great, it made $400 million in the the United States. We need another one. She's probably like,
0: okay. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Now what? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And this does one of the things that I hate most about sequels of this nature is that it makes backstories for things that didn't need backstories. And it even does some cheesy things of like tying it into scenes directly from the first movie. And, I don't like that either. Yeah, it's just like, you told a great story the first time around, uh, like you said, Drew, airtight, and fairly simple, uh, which allowed us to have more time with the characters and yeah. the humor, which absolutely stand out in the first Frozen. Mm-hmm. For this one, it's so focused on its plot and trying to come up with this weird lore system of like a whole new kingdom next door that wasn't mentioned at all before kind of thing. Right. And I'm just sitting there like, why do we have to focus on all this past stuff? Why couldn't they just go on an adventure in Future Land? You know, they're always trying to bring it back to uh, some stuff that they do with other characters and just like, I don't care. Let's just see Anna and Elsa just Go on an adventure with Olaf and Kristoff, you know, I don't need to bring it back to Frozen 1 all the time.
1: The past approach really doesn't work for this franchise, and I'll get into that when we get into spoilers. But Mm -hmm. yeah, man, the script is kind of a clunker. Like, it is comprised of a lot of different subplots. All the characters are doing their own isolated things with their own objectives, as opposed to moving in the same direction. Like, they're all in the same quest, But they all have different motives. And that's set up very nicely early in the film. But that doesn't really work in execution because then you're splitting them apart psychologically for so much of it that it just doesn't have the same fresh feel as the first film. It's the overcompensating for the fact that, okay, we need to evolve these storylines. But at the same time, we need to tell a very dense story to – you know, make the audience feel like they're not getting shortchanged. And and then it's like, okay, but at the same time, you're shortchanging us by not giving us what we liked in the first place.
0: And if I could just elaborate, too, because everyone is focused on the plot, I felt like this movie had a lot less humor in it. And I think that really hurts it. Yeah, Uh, I, I agree. Olaf was pretty much the only consistently funny character. And even he has this weird arc about trying to grow up and understand his own existence for the first half of the movie, which that's what I'm talking about with these subplots. Like it's it's played to some comedic effect, but at the same time, like I don't need philosophy coming from Olaf right now when everyone else is just as down in the dumps as you are, man. Right? Yeah. It's comedy until it's abruptly not like (laughs) exactly again, not getting into spoilers, but the all is lost moment of this movie right before the climax. It's pretty dark for a kid's film. I remember, like, looking around the theater, like, trying to see if little kids were squirming in their seats because mm-hmm. I was surprised about how dark and almost scary this got right before the ending. Right, and it's pretty out of nowhere in my opinion, too. Yes. Like, it does.
1: <laughs> it
2: goes from zero to ten real quick. Actually, yeah, I was, I was thinking that, too. I feel like they, like, kind of build and build and build to where they want to take you, and then all of a sudden things just happen, and then it's the climax, and then all of a sudden they start to wrap up. And I'm like, wait, what – Weren't we on a journey? There was a lot of build-up to a climax that really just kind of happened out of nowhere. So let's get into the
1: spoiler section and give our ratings here so we can get into specifically those points. If you've never seen the show before... We grade things on a seat scale. If we love it, we give it a royal throne. If we think it's great with minimal flaws, we give it a plush recliner. If it's a movie with significant flaws but still pretty good, we give it a wooden seat. The inverse of that, if it's a bad movie with some decent things in it, we give it a damp lawn chair. If we think it's irredeemable, we give it a sleazy outhouse. And if we think it's a movie you need to see in theaters, we give it a bag of popcorn moniker. So, Jake, continue on that little riff you were doing. What's your rating?
2: Okay. Okay. There were points where I was starting to get a little low on it, but I'm not going to venture that low. I'll give it – because uh, I didn't dislike it. I feel like below a wooden seat is dislike, and I'm not there. I didn't dislike it. So I'll give it a, a wooden seat, and I'll throw it the bag of popcorn moniker because the visuals are really good. It looks really, really good. Um, but if you get a good crowd, you might enjoy the songs more. You might – maybe you'll get a couple more laughs, things like that. But mainly the visuals look really, really good. So that's where I'm, that's where I'm at. A nice even wooden seat. Nothing really too special.
0: Nate, go ahead. I'm going to be in a very similar place. Uh, Definitely a wooden seat type of movie. I liked it, but didn't really like it and definitely didn't love it. It's a a flawed sequel. It's not nearly as impactful. And I feel like it was a lot less relatable than the first one. The first one was all about just learning to live with your sister and uh, just kind of that companionship and how that is stronger than a lot of classic disney tropes of true love and that kind of stuff
1: challenging true love was the big thing which
0: i adored i thought that was so cool i did like that about the first two and a cool subversive idea that took off and ignited the country or rather than froze it over (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for this one i feel like it's all the ideas are so much more abstract that i just don't feel like I connected to it personally, and I definitely don't think kids will either. I think it's more about the flash and flare, and less about the tightly written substance of the first one. So, yeah, visually good songs were fine, but again, not nearly as universal or sing compared to the original. So if you're looking for that, I don't know if this has that for you either. Um, but again, not bad, just mediocre. Wouldn't
1: see. I say it's a little bit better than mediocre, but I'm still on the wooden seat range. I just, I really like these characters, and this movie coasts a lot on the fact that I like these characters so much in the past that it really is making up for the shortcomings of the writing. It's very scattered and it's very anticlimactic what this film builds to, in my opinion. But it's very, it's a funny film. It's got a lot of great visuals, like we said. The voice cast does a nice job. I think the songs are a little better than you guys are giving them credit for, but they're still not fantastic. I won't do Bag of Popcorn moniker because I think this movie is probably more fun sing-along at home. Uh, that would be my argument. But, you know, Jake is right. The visuals are nice enough to warrant a seat in the theaters. And let's be honest, you're probably going to see so like- it.
2: Bowl of ice cream? What moniker are you giving it then?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Microwave popcorn. (laughs) Yeah. All right, folks.
2: Let's move
1: on to spoilers. If you have not seen Frozen 2, check out now if you have. Let's dive in. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert!
0: Spoiler alert!
1: Excuse me. Spoiler alert. So, Nate, what you were saying about sequels going into the past and reaching into the backstory and making it such a big deal that especially doesn't work for frozen so frozen 2 a lot of it is about reckoning with what Arendelle did in the past their sins against this other kingdom that like you guys said we had never heard of before before this so kind of odd anyway the idea of reckoning with the sins of the past and making up for it to the f- to the point where you're possibly sacrificing your life and your people's way of life guys what is a key line and let it go the past is in the past. <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> oh boy. It's directly in contrast
0: to the entire moniker of Frozen's biggest song. Well, also, Frozen's biggest song doesn't really make sense in the context of its own movie because Elsa was kind of wrong. She was supposed to reconnect with her family, but that all aside. Right. It works as an end of first act song. Yes, where that character is in time.
1: So that's <laughs> right. why I think it works. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's a big empowerment song. No, I agree. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, going back to atoning for the sins of your kingdom, so to speak, you know, what movie did a lot of this and is actually a poster in Drew's bedroom. I know for sure for freaking Ragnarok. Yeah, you know? I'm glad you said that <laughs> right, right, right and, over my shoulder and one of the big climatic moments of that movie is that Asgard needs to fall because Asgard is a people, not a place. Now, maybe they thought they couldn't do the exact same arc in Frozen, but the fact that you have Elsa almost dead, like I kind of was lost to the spirit world, I guess. I don't really know exactly what happened to her. It happened out of nowhere.
1: Playing a really bad game of red light, green light.
0: Yeah, whatever, whatever that was, um, you have Olaf Disappearing, Pulling a Peter Parker in Infinity War. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> no, I'm serious. There, were, there was like a 15-minute period where I'm like, they're doing Infinity War and Ragnarok back to back. <laughs> I really, I was getting annoyed.
0: I'm like, guys, really? Anna, I don't feel so good. <laughs> Anna, I don't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and the third thing, Arendelle is in jeopardy, and the town's going to get flooded in order to solve the crisis of the movie. So you have all three of those very... Dramatic moments that happen very, very quickly and they get resolved even quicker. Yeah. With no consequences. And like, where's the dealing with the past if none of it matters and everything gets solved?
1: I don't know. Yeah. Anna's big, like, hope is lost grief moment comes out of nowhere. I keep saying Anna. Anna. Sorry.
0: It's so depressing. She's in the bottom of that cave and like. She's crying and there's no light in the scene visually or like story-wise. It's a dark, dark moment, especially for a a Disney film of this status, you know? Like this needs to appeal to your young demographic. And I thought that was scary, honestly.
2: Honestly, I was okay with that. I was kind of like you guys, more – I had more of an issue with the jarring nature of it. I was like we just went from Elsa and Anna saying we're going to be together – to breaking up to both of them at their complete lowest to figuring it out and resolving. I'm like that was just a little fast. Yeah. Maybe a little too much setup. Actually, you know where they you know what they could have cut? Talking about issues with the past. Olaf did not need to recap Frozen 1. Oh, I see that was one of my favorite scenes <laughs> in the movie though. Okay, yeah. I was like I was like I thought that was funny. I'm like it was funny, but we didn't need it. And then Elsa does it again when she gets into that random crystal place. She she looks at herself singing Let It Go and kind of shrugs. Like, that whole thing recaps Frozen 1 again. What are we doing? Let's
0: move with this story. I know Frozen 1 was a hit. I saw it. That's why I'm here. Uh, (laughs) It's it's weird. And you know what actually was similar for me was Kristoff's song. As a story beat, it felt out of place. It felt like a very... Weird moment to be having story wise because we're actually starting to get into the serious elemental territory by then. But at the same time, Kristoff's song as a '80s power ballad is freaking hilarious. Yeah, as was Olaf's recap of the original one. It was a great joke, just at the wrong time in the movie. I think two of the
1: top five favorite parts of the movie, right there that we're talking about. I yeah, Mm -hmm. I agree. All of the love stuff is kind of lame with Kristoff. Like it's such a sitcom plot. And I get it, this is a movie for children, but, like, the balancing of tones we're talking about, if this is going to be darker, you need to do this a little bit better. At the
0: very least, like, earlier.
1: Yeah. The one song I really, really, really like is the big reintroduction song. The Some Things Never Change, where we get to see all the characters again, and they kind of set up their motivations for the movie. I really like that ensemble song. Uh, Into the Unknown is decent. It's definitely trying to be Let It Go, like, two. Yeah. But... You know, it's okay. It's a pretty good tune, and Idina Menzel can really
2: sing. That she can, yes. Um, as far as issue, as far as like issues go, I I was a little annoyed that they like not recapped Frozen One twice, but definitely went back to it twice. And like, remember how good Frozen One was? Like, yep, mm-hmm. really three
1: times. Remember when they're playing charades, they kind of do that too.
2: Oh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. What's I also felt like for the first half, a lot of Anna's character is Elsa. Stop leaving me. Elsa, we agreed to stick together. I'm like, you just... I know you agreed on that, but that's kind of been your character trait three times in a row now.
1: That's one of the other big themes of the movie. We're kind of talking about, and you're seeing a pattern here, uh, similar themes, good themes, good messages, but that have been done better in other movies. Uh, This movie's very much about people you love so much. You can stay loving them, but let them do their own thing. But... That exact message was done better and Ralph Breaks the Internet a year ago. Yep. And we talked about it on our show.
2: Absolutely. It's mm-hmm. the exact You're same right.
1: message. And that movie is a lot more focused on that. Like it goes a little over the top with it at points. Remember when there's the big like Ralph droid thing, Ralph virus, yeah. it's like, oh, Love me, Vanellope, and it's like, okay, this is a little on the nose, but at least it's focused on that one thing. Frozen Two has like four separate messages that are running parallel with each other, like the subway race at Yankee Stadium, and
2: <laughs> no one wins. Well done, good reference. That's a good one.
1: That's a lot of time at Yankee Stadium thinking about that.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're right. It is a little. It's a little. It's a little too convoluted it really did flip flop on what worked and what didn't with me. Like it was like almost every 20 minutes. I was like, this is working and this is not, this is working and this is not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. To get a little bit more concrete on specifics in the movie, maybe this is a little nitpicky on my part, but I'm kind of over the earth, water, fire, air thing. I feel like we've seen that. In a lot of stuff. It's literally and an I'm Avatar. Tired like- of it. Yeah. Well, obviously it's Avatar, um, and the four classical elements are just a thing. So obviously there's going to be a lot of lot of fiction that takes from that. But I uh, I just wish it wasn't so by the numbers in that regard. Like, okay, we're gonna have the air spirit, and then we're gonna move on to the fire spirit, and just keep rolling down the track because you got to go in an order.
1: And again, it's there, but it's like barely. Exactly.
0: And they spend so much time talking about it because you have to have it connect to the forest's backstory, you have to have it connect to the people that live in the forest.
2: Yeah, her You parents. have to have
0: it connect to Elsa, and, it's, and literally, as soon as they said, oh, but there could be a fifth spirit, yep. I wonder who that could be. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, it's yep. Elsa, woohoo. I was actually- <laughs> is it the girl that caused the problem in the first place? Probably.
2: I was really hoping it wouldn't be her. I'm like, please tell me you're not going mm-hmm. predictable, and please tell me you're not making Elsa a god. Make mm-hmm. I don't need that.
1: Jake, look at it the other way. The only other thing they would have done is that the fifth element
2: is love. Captain Planet to the rescue! Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, yeah, you kind of stumped
0: me. I was trying to mm-hmm. think of something else, and it covered anything. <laughs> because they went with the generic four elements, you're kind of stuck on that track. And I feel like you could have yeah. had a much better time if you were a little more loose with your your lore and just said, "Yeah, there's elemental creatures in this world, and this one happens to be a water horse, and that's cool." Um, instead of like an ice person, that horse was awesome though. Yeah, animation beautifully was beautifully animated yeah. um, and like made some cool shots for sure. Yeah, but I, I felt like I was on a, a theme park ride and we mm. were just stopping at each <laughs> each event.
1: I really like that whole sequence though. She's basically Iceman on the water.
2: I actually mm. wanted to uh, address that. So she's really struggling to contain her powers in the first one, and in the second one, they start off with her getting startled and freezing the banner. So she's sitting at, and I'm like, okay, she's still learning to control it. And then she just has the most control I've ever seen from any superhero with ice powers. Right. I'm like, she can do She can do anything. It's been literally three unstoppable. years. Well, and
0: to be fair, she made life literally yeah, in the first movie. Yeah, <laughs> but the <laughs> first one is,
2: is so much about her being unable to control it. And I feel like now she's like, liter- she's
0: literally a god.
2: I want to see her master that a little bit more. Eh. She's like unstoppable in this one.
0: I don't know. I I don't think I would need that, Jake, just because it'd be another plot point in an already convoluted movie. Right. Yeah,
2: but I feel like they they almost OP'd her. I'm like, she she can actually do anything. Mm -hmm. And that's a little too much for me. That's fair.
1: That's definitely not a top focus of theirs, but really there is no main focus here. I was very much expecting them to be like, oh, your parents are alive somehow. I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, that would be annoying. When we saw the ship, some girl probably two to three years younger than us went (gasps) and i was like oh they're not gonna do it are they like (laughs) there's no way that these people are alive you've got that element possibly floating out there you've got everything with sterling k brown's character where he plays a former arendelle guard who's been Mm -hmm. trapped in this mist for years for decades at this point and it's like He has maybe 25, 30 lines, and the only contribution he makes is he throws a rock at the rock thing.
2: (laughs) Well, he saves— He He throws a rock at the
1: rock thing, and he bangs his shield. Yeah, he saves Anna. I know, but— You you, could have had Kristoff do that, too. He literally was the next hand. That's true. true. Yeah, he just somehow finds her in the middle of nowhere. Sure.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of that in this movie, I thought, in, like, the second act, where— I thought we had, like, traversed through the forest and all of a sudden we were right back at the starting area. (laughs) And I'm like, have you guys just been standing here for the last 30 minutes of the movie? Is this Blair Witch Project? Hey, man,
1: real estate isn't cheap these days.
2: Like, Little nitpicky, I have some geographical issues. (laughs) Like, they go wandering. Like, they, they take this big expedition. Like, Elsa, you can't go alone. We're all coming. It's, like, a mile away. It's, like, up the road. Yeah. It's really not that far. Like this enchanted forest they talk about is really like right there. Like where the first movie takes place where Elsa runs off to, it's like really kind of just next to it. It's not that far. They pass it, yeah. Yeah, they pass it. And like there's a dam that stops all this water. The water gets there in like a minute. Like this place is not that far. No. So
1: it's, I don't it really know. isn't picky, but the reason it seems so treacherous in the first is because it was like horrific winter. But yeah, we're talking about geography at this point. I think it's time to wrap up. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's nitpicky, but I
2: did. I was like, what's going on? (laughs) I think we're done here. Nate, final thoughts on Frozen 2?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, From a technical aspect, uh, from a musical aspect, I think this is definitely satisfactory. In terms of visuals, I think it excels. Um, But that also is just kind of par for the course for Disney animation at this point. Uh, So I'm glad that they at least weren't lazy and did a great job with some of the unique features of this franchise. I just wish we had more of the characters we had from the first time around. I wish they really focused on the sense of humor that made the first one so iconic. I think I wish the sisterly bond was less in peril for this entire movie. It felt like Anna was losing Elsa the entire movie when we just spent all of last movie growing that bond. Like, sisterly love let's let's make it a theme to conquer their adventures this was basically just elsa i'm gonna go do my own adventure and everyone else is just kind of wait for me to be done yeah like pushing her away the entire movie Mm -hmm. yeah so that all fell flat on me we spent way too much time just talking about the lore of the forest and the elements and whatnot i i didn't care (laughs) (laughs) i was bored with that stuff from the first exposition dump. And there were lots of exposition dumps in this movie. Overall, it was fine. I know we aren't the target demographic for it, but there really are great family movies that appeal to all ages. I don't think this is one of them. Uh,
2: Jake, what did you think of Frozen 2? I'm basically with Nate. It's, it is it is kind of what I expected. I didn't expect it to love it all that much, and I, I didn't. It was fine. Um, it had its issues, but it does have a relatively nice message. Um, I do like that they separated Elsa and Anna, and they have their own kind of kingdoms to rule. Though you're right, Ralph Breaks the Internet did it better. One final point I did want to bring up is
0: that whole fire lizard thing, every time it was on screen, I wanted to just scratch its chin. Isn't that the same Ooh. lizard we've seen in every other Disney animated movie? Like, we Maybe. had one in Moana, who yeah. looked the exact same. But no, but th- this one had more of a
2: personality. I wanted to scratch its chin. I really just, I wanted to pet it. I wanted to rub its head. Um, yeah, no, uh, Frozen 2 was it was fine there are much better kids movies there are much better movies in general and like Nate said this didn't appeal to all the audiences but that's okay and i don't think it's a bad example of a family movie either but i would agree
1: i'm not feeling apathy but i'm i can't muster up a lot of emotion for it whereas the i'd go to war for the first frozen as you guys have probably gotten by now this one i i'd be like okay it's solid it's it's decent it's Baseline what you expect of a Frozen 2. You know, it's not, it doesn't exceed expectations. It probably meets them. It's a step below the first because of its convoluted story and that sequelitis approach that it kind of takes. But I think if you love these characters, you'll get a decent amount of enjoyment out of this. You'll definitely have a good time, especially if you have kids. That'll do it for our review of Frozen 2 and for this edition of the Middle Seats podcast,
0: hopefully brought to you by Quiznos. Uh, before we go, Nate, where can they find us on the internet? All righty. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. We have
1: a lot of exciting things circulating here this winter, folks. Please be sure to keep up with our box office challenge. Be sure to listen to the other part of this podcast if you haven't already. And also, be sure to be listening to our Star Wars recaps as we're counting down to the release of Rise of Skywalker. We're going to be doing a podcast for pretty much every single Star Wars movie that has come out theatrically. We will have a couple of these out by the time you listen to this. Uh, We're having a lot of fun doing them, so please listen to those too, especially if you're a big Star Wars person or a big Jar Jar Binks fan like Jake is. Anyway, that will do it for this episode of the Middle Seats Podcast. For Jake Hensler and Nate Longarini, I'm Andrew O'Jay. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.